Welcome to the Conscious Living Podcast, conversations to educate, empower, and enlighten our world. An uplifting and inspiring series of conversations and talks with your host, Jackie Woodside. We are educating minds, empowering lives, and enlightening souls to create a world where love prevails. In this engaging podcast, we deliver exciting, positive, transformative talks and teachings designed to elevate your life. Now, let's join our host, Jackie Woodside, for this week's session. Hi, everybody. Jackie Woodside here again for another episode of the Conscious Living Podcast, where we are here week after week, dedicated and committed to educating, empowering, and enlightening our world. Thank you so much for spending your time and your energy to think more deeply about how you are living consciously and how you can engage in life from a conscious perspective. Today, you're going to really enjoy the conversation that we have lined up for you because we're going to be talking about something that is so central to the way that we experience and live life that we often overlook it. And that is the topic of human communication. And I'm bringing forth uh, just an expert in this field, Brendan Kumarasamy is the founder of Master Talk, where he coaches ambitious uh, entrepreneurs and CEOs and people who are really committed to being excellent communicators to bring about their highest and best communication to be the top 1% communicators. So his goal in life is to really provide people with the tools to know themselves deeply so that they can connect deeply with other people and of course with their audiences. So Brendan, thank you so much for being with us today. Do you mind just saying a few more things about yourself so our listeners can get to know you? Jackie, the pleasure is absolutely mine. Thanks for having me on the show. And yeah, the short story about me was it all started when I was in college. I went to university for business school and my goal is to be an accountant, which is very different from what I do today. I was a numbers guy. And during my time there, I did these things called case competitions, Jackie. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while <laughs> other guys my age are playing basketball or football or some other dangerous sport, you probably wouldn't see me playing. I did presentations competitively, and that's how I learned how to speak. But then as I got older, I started coaching all of the students in college on how to communicate so that they could win the competitions too. And I just accidentally got really good at speaking. And that's what led to Master Talk, the YouTube channel, because I realized, wait a second, everything I'm sharing with the students isn't really available for free on the internet. So I just started posting videos and it turned to something I never could have imagined. Wow. Yeah, that's right. I forgot to mention your YouTube channel, Master Talk, where you give tons of free advice for people on being better speakers. So I have to dive in right there. Well, like, I, So I didn't know there was a thing like competitive speaking. And it's probably good that I didn't because goodness knows with my competitive nature uh, and my love of speaking, that would have been uh, taking me down a deep and long rabbit hole. But what are some of the things that you were teaching to the students and that you learned that make people excellent communicators. I'm, I'm curious what you study and practice. Like I'm picturing a practice, like, a, you know, a, a communication uh, debate or, 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 or a competition, sorry. Uh, I think that would be fascinating to watch. So what are some of the things that, that you can talk to us about? Absolutely, Jackie. So, so the frame around this, the context, a lot of people don't really know what a case competition is. And I unfortunately fell down that rabbit hole because I'm very competitive too. So the second I started doing well, I was like, well, how do I win every single one? Especially when I started losing a couple too. 
So the, the frame, the context behind case competitions and why I even did them in the first place, you would think it's because I was a speaker my whole life and I was really passionate about communication. And that is totally untrue. The reason I did case competitions, Jackie, was to get a job. So I'm in my first semester of universe. I'm 19 years old. I have an oversized prom suit from Sears. That's now a bankrupt company because I couldn't afford anything better because my parents are factory workers. People are telling me I need a network. So I go to these cocktails so I can get a job. And somebody tells me, your dream, Brendan, should be to work for one of the big four accounting firms, KPMG, EY, PwC, Deloitte. And I look at them and I say, okay, how do I get there? So I start talking to these students who had internships there, Jack, and I just ask them, how did you get a job there? And they all said two words, case competitions. And like everyone listening to this podcast, I went, what is that? And then they explained it to me. The idea is businesses sponsor these competitions, Jackie, to vet the best students in business school to give them job offers. Think of it like a drafting process. So let's say Amazon is a sponsor. They'll come with their high-level executives. They'll watch 20-year-olds present, and then they'll say, oh, I like that kid. I like that kid. Let's give them internships so that the other companies don't snag them up. And I just saw it as my ticket out of poverty, so I took it. Wow, that is fascinating. And what kinds of cases are you presenting? So are they watching your content or your delivery? Right. So they're they're watching both, but because these these this is a very niche type of yeah. quote unquote sport, everyone who's who's competing in case competitions are, are are really smart in general. So the difference is really delivery, where the top five teams will have the right solution or the one that the judges are looking for or that they love, but they'll usually give first, second, and third place to the people who deliver it the best. So delivery is usually where the differentiation is. And some of those cases, there's so many different ones, but I can give you one easy example to think about is the the strategy was around my first ever case competition. It was a it was a bottling company. Like they package a different like milks and oasis bottles as an example. And the challenge they had, which is very specific, so you, you don't know the answer when you read these cases, is how do we sh- how do we sell sh- shelf stable cream in Canada? So it sounds really bizarre. So basically what the context is, is whenever we go to Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts, we put cream in our coffee, but usually that cream is refrigerated. Whereas in Europe, that's actually not a trend. They'll take cream off the shelf and they'll put it in. And the the case was, how do you sell that in Canada, which is so hard to do? And that's what the case is about. That sounds really boring. Yeah. It's actually really fascinating. (laughs) Is it really? (laughs) Yeah, because... You learn something about completely random about a field. And what's but the crazy part, though, Jackie, isn't really the case. It's who you present to. So this is my first case. I'm 19 years old. Right? I spend we spend like hours cracked. We're all a bunch of 19 year olds. We don't know how to solve this. But who we present to is the managing director for the country. And he's looking at us like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm Scott. And I and I lead this whole company. We're all like, uh, OK. Wow. Oh, yeah. I learned that, really fast. So is this still a thing? In oh, life? yeah. Oh, yeah. Case what competitions. What am I living under that I've never heard of this before? Right. So so the reason you haven't heard of it, it's not because you, you, know, you live under a rock, Jack. It's mostly because it's a very niche sport. Like it's only for people in business school. So either somebody in an MBA program oh, okay. or doing a bachelor's of commerce. So anyone outside of those specific two fields will never hear about what a case competition is. 
And how is it different from debate? Like debate's kind of a thing now. High schools are having debate competitions, colleges. So how how did how is it different? Absolutely. I love your curiosity around this, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am very curious about it. I we love will get it. down to conscious living. We will. No, I love it. I just love your curiosity. It's fascinating. So so debate is a little bit different, Jackie. So debate is more, you have a topic that's often controversial and you debate for or against that topic. So it's one team versus the other. So let's take something like climate change. Like one side would be for it, against it, and to, to put resources on the table or something. Whereas case competitions is slightly different where every team is given the same problem set. So it's like a 20 page document. Let's say Amazon's trying to open a new store and they're thinking, should I open it in Portugal or should I open it in Spain or something like that? And then we need as a team to read the entire 20 page document, come up with a bunch of PowerPoint slides, do an analysis, financials, numbers, risks and mitigations. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. And then we, as soon as the three hours are up, we get escorted immediately to the judges and we have to present right away. That's that's how the case competition works. So the winning teams, and that's how I learned how to speak, don't start their presentation like most of the teams do with, uh, hi, because they're scared. They're 20 years old. Like, hi, everyone. My name's Brendan. This is Jackie. The winning teams go into there and they present as if the company paid them a million dollars to deliver that solution. That's fantastic. I love it. Love it. Love it. And you can, you know, you just alluded to this <clears throat> caveat and how this relates to conscious living, because if you if you can't self-regulate, if you can't manage your emotions, if you're all caught up in your head of what do they think of me and they're such big shots and I'm 20 years old, like if you're not conscious to what your goal is and to what you're doing, clearly your communication is going to tank. So tell me a little bit from your expert perspective, how you see that that combination or correlation. For sure, Jackie. So, so the way that I see this through a couple of ways, let's start with the first one, which is the most important person that we need to learn to communicate with in our life is ourselves. Because if we focus on asking ourselves deep questions about how we should live our lives and how we should go about it, it creates specificity throughout conscious living. So I'll give you an example. A lot of people in the world, as you know, as well as I do, we're wired for survival. So our focus is just to, I guess let's use the opposite term, to live unconsciously. What is everyone else doing? Okay, well, if John has a big house and is married by 30 and has two kids, two and a half kids, right? And a white picket fence and a specific car, I see that as the right way to live life because I want John to be my friend. I want to be a part of the trip. Right, exactly. Versus... It's taking a step back from first principles thinking and going, what actually makes the most sense? Because John has his own life. He lives a completely different set of experiences that I haven't. So how do I use communication as a vehicle to ask myself hard questions about life to then create what life is conscious to me? So one of those examples that I'm always public about and open to talk about is I still live with my mother. Right. So culturally, that doesn't make sense. It's like, oh, Brendan, you're you're have a successful business now. You're making a lot of money. Why don't you? I mean, not a lot of money, but good enough to, to live life. It's like, why, why would you still live with your mother? Whereas in my culture, the reason it makes sense is because the time, the amount of hours, Tim Urban has a great blog on this, Jackie, where after somebody turns 25 or 30, the time that you spend with your parents dramatically goes down. My father passed away three years ago. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, no, I just want to stay with my mom or else she'd just live alone. And I wouldn't want that. So that's an example of how I live consciously. Wow. So not being driven by what cultural mores tell you, 
but actually aligning with your values, your desires, what's important to you and making that choice. Absolutely. And how do you communicate that to people that might question you or look down on you? Like, you know, I I, I have actually a lot of questions for you about conflict (laughs) communication. Like, so we're just starting to bridge the iceberg here, Um, you know, but but somebody's up in your face, you know, another guy's like, yeah, you know, mama's boy, what are you doing living at home? You know, I'm sure you get that, right? A lot less than you would think. But what you really touched upon, Jackie, is really an important part of the conversation that I'm glad you brought up. How can we bring our willingness to to lead conscious lives into the people we're speaking to, into the people that are in our lives? And for me, it's always about starting easy. So I, I never go straight to, okay, uh, somebody fundamentally disagrees with you on values, principles, and politics. Okay, that's probably not the best place to start. The best place to start is to, is to go through boundaries management. Let me give a simple example. Okay. All of us in our relationships with the people that we love, the people that are around us, we always like to say these five words, I need more alone time. What does that mean, Jackie? Does that mean two weeks in a cave being alone? Does that mean one hour in the morning reading a book? Maybe it's 30 minutes with the dog in the evening, just taking them for a walk. But if we don't clarify what that means and why it's important, we interpret it as, oh, this person just doesn't love me. Mm. This person just doesn't want to be around me. Mm -hmm. So the way that we begin these conversations is not from a reactive perspective, oh my God, Brendan, you live X and Y way, but rather approaching it proactively and say, how do I help you, Jackie, live more consciously so that you open the door to allow me to live life the way I want to live it? How do I open the door to live life more consciously so that I open the door for you? Say that all again. I lost you. Sure, sure. And, and let me make a super simple example to demonstrate this. Okay. So I'll give an example with my mother. Okay. okay. Me and my mother used to fight all the time. We haven't fought in over 10 years now. I haven't had a single argument in such a long time. We live together. We see each other every day. Why is that? Why did we used to bicker? The reason we used to bicker all the time is because we came from fundamentally different value systems. She was born and raised in a third world country called Sri Lanka, south of India. And I was born and raised in Canada, first world country. So it's individualism versus collectivism at its best, right? Because in Asian culture, it's all about putting everyone else first. Whereas in individualistic culture, like Western society, it's about saying, yeah, we care about other people, but I want to make my dreams come true. or make what I think come true. So we'd fight all the time and there's no right or wrong. And one thing that my mom would always fight me on is that I wasn't allowed to eat at other people's homes that weren't within our own ethnicity. So when I say that, somebody thinks immediately, oh, my, this person is such and such. And they always go directly to the assumption, which is wrong, obviously. Whereas what I did differently was when I was a 13-year-old boy, I asked myself two questions. One is not what is the relationship with my mother right now, but what do I want my relationship with my mother to be? This is what I call relationship visioning. And the second piece is I just asked her a three-letter question. Why? Why is that important to you? And I listened to her and everything that she said, Jackie, made perfect sense because she grew up in a civil war. And when you grow up in a civil war, you learn not to trust other people. So you close your doors. And at the end, I just said, we're not in a war anymore. And I got to eat 
at my friend's house. So what's the conclusion here? The conclusion, Jackie, by what I mean of helping other people live more consciously allows us to live more consciously is nobody opened the door for my mother to have that conversation. So when I led her first and not about me, but about you, hey, I care about what you have to say. Then she allowed me to live my life, which is completely different than most people in my community do, which is like quitting a job at IBM to be like a public speaking coach. Like who does that in my community? (laughs) (laughs) That is such a great example of like, and I love what you said. It's so wise for you. If you were literally 13 when you had that question, what kind of relationship do I want to have with her? You know, if that's a very conscious, aware, values driven question uh, that most adults, let alone 13 year olds, don't have the capacity for. Right. And I will clarify because I think it's important to stay to stay on book. I didn't have that question like as articulate as I have now. It was more just I did something and it worked out. But now being older, I understand what I was trying to do when I was 13. But I don't think I had the same level of consciousness that I do today. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really an astute question. I, I think I think a lot of people who are having marriage trouble, that would be a great question to bring into their marriage. What kind of a marriage do I want to have with this person? And then how do I need to be? such that I can cultivate those qualities and characteristics in our relationship. I love the transition there. You're absolutely right, Jackie. And that also plays into boundaries. The challenge I have around boundaries, Jackie, because that does apply into conscious living, right? Because if we can't set and communicate those boundaries, we can't fully live the life that we want to live. And the challenge around the boundary conversations, it's always about us. It's always about, well, Jackie, I need more alone time. I need this. I need this. Versus going, hey, I I listened to this on a podcast recently with Jackie and Brendan around boundaries. And I'd love, you with the significant other in this example, and I would love for us to start with one of your boundaries first. What's something that you feel I can respect by that you feel I'm not doing right now? And then we open the door to a much more healthier conversation versus, so we transition from I need more alone time to, hey, babe, I would really appreciate an hour in the morning to just read a book because it allows me to show up better in our relationship. Is that okay with you? It's very different. Yeah. Such that leads me into this other question I have of, you know, I, I I do a lot of coaching uh, with people around their relationships and work conflicts. I do leadership coaching and really a lot of what comes up in the leadership coaching is just things that people should have learned in kindergarten, you know, (laughs) to get along and, and how to, you know, treat people with respect. And anyway, um, so what are your thoughts? You know, you're an expert in communication, Brendan. This is your full-time thing. And I'm sure you see it as well with the CEOs and, and entrepreneurs that you work with. People just have a lot of difficulty, in my language, marginalizing the ego in service of kind of a higher order uh, resolution. I always tell people to start with the question when you're in a conflict situation or you're trying to move someone, what's the goal here? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? And when the ego is running the show, it's like what you're trying to accomplish is like proving your point and getting your way, you know? So, you know, how do you work with this around workplace issues or just relationships in general when there is a conflict situation, helping people to communicate more excellently and be conscious of what they're doing? 
For sure. And a lot of it is, of course, the inner work that you, you teach your clients to do and on this podcast. But but the angle I'll drive, which is more a layer on top of that very important work, Jackie, that you do is really about saying, let's start with the relationships you really value. So the, the challenge with the work scenario and why a lot of people have that ego is because many of those relationships, unfortunately, are fragile. Because mm-hmm. if I'm an employee, if I'm a vice president at a company, and I don't like somebody, and this is what we do as humans, we always try to run away from reality versus accept reality as is and adapt to it, is we, we, we just say, well, I could just work somewhere else and I could just avoid these people. But you can't avoid your mother. Yeah. <laughs> you can't avoid. Well, and you can't avoid yourself. Powerful. I, I think a lot of times when people do that, I was a therapist for 30 years, Brendan, mm. and therapists call that the geographic cure, right? Oh, I can't get along with this boss, so I'm going to go here and go to work. Powerful. You know what happens after a few months? It's like, well, I can't get along with that boss either. So I'm going to go over here and work, right? So you can keep running, but the one thing that you always bring with you is yourself. Absolutely. I, I love that concept, by the way, the geographic here. It's really fascinating. I think it's really well stated too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, uh, really powerful for yeah. people to recognize that when you're trying to, quote unquote, get away from a conflict situation, that's fine. You know, you can get the divorce, you can get the new job. Just be mindful that what you're bringing with you is yourself. Yeah. So how do you teach people to come at that conflict interface and use the tools that you teach uh, to, you know, to navigate that very difficult terrain? For sure. So after we've built up that momentum with our easy relationships, because yeah. if we can't if we can't fix things at home, it's going to be really hard to bring that to strangers we have less involvement and investment in in general. So now the next piece becomes how do we resolve conflict? There's obviously different layers to this, and it's contextual. But I'll give you a frame that I feel applies in most situations. One is always begin a conflict resolution with what you already have in common. Like what can we agree on? Do we both agree that this is the right direction? But yes, do we agree on this? And this creates familiarity, which reduces the energy and the tension in the room. Sorry, increases positive energy, reduces the tension in the room. Another piece that I like to do as well, I always, and I do this just sporadically, not just when we're resolving conflict, but just what are you grateful for, for the other person in your life? You can't, you know, we do this a lot in, in politics as well, which is, I find it so fascinating. You have like red and blue, but in my mind, I go, keep going, well, we're all going to the same McDonald's anyways. We're all going, we're all watching the same movies. It's like you're watching a specific show because you believe this and the other person isn't watching the new thing on Netflix. So, so it's starting with what we have in common and gratitude for the other person makes conflict a lot easier to manage. Mm. And the third piece is more of something we can work on within ourselves, which is how to how to improve deep listening. And deep listening, a good way, because the problem that I have with listening, Jack in general, is people say listening is important, but they don't give a practical tip on how to do this. Right. So, so I'll give you one that I love teaching clients, and this will help you in conflict resolution. Okay. So you'll listen more and you'll be able to deal with the, the spikes along the road. All you have to do, pick something you really love, like a best friend, somebody that you grow with, somebody who's listening to the podcast with you. That, that's a perfect person. Sit them down for 45 minutes on a one-on-one call and just ask them what their top three goals are for the year. But for the 45 minutes, Jackie, you are not allowed to give advice. The only thing you're allowed to do is restate what they said and ask them more questions about their goals. So if somebody says, my goal is to lose weight, you have to respond with, how many pounds would it be for a win for you? Tell me more about that. 
and you just ask questions for 45 minutes. And that drastically improves our ability to listen. Wow. I must be an expert listener then because 30 years as a therapist, I did that for 50 minutes a day, probably how many, I mean, 50 minutes an hour times eight or nine hours a day for My 30 goodness. years. <laughs> I love that. I mean, that is, that's kind of, that is, uh, it's a very therapeutic tool. I've, I've seen people use that in relationship counseling before where, um, you know, you just listen and deepen, listen and deepen, listen and deepen. And it's funny now being a podcaster, a lot of times people will get off the interview and tell me like, you are such a good interviewer. And I just laugh and I say occupational hazard from having been a therapist for so long. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. So yeah, no, you're absolutely right. We do hear a lot that listening is the most important part of communication and people often don't really understand what that means. So I love that practice of just deepening, not giving advice, not giving your story about it, not your two cents about it but just deepening and questioning and reframing, reframing and rephrasing what has just been said is a really, really good tool. One of the things I like to teach about listening is to ask people to really pay attention to what they're listening, where they're listening from mm. instead of what they're listening for. Where are you listening from? And a lot of times in conflict, uh, people are listening from I'm right and you're wrong or you're a problem and I have your solution, or uh, I want to get my way. Um, so if you can declare where you're listening from and shift it from getting my way to being generous, or from getting my way to mending the relationship, I find that that can really be, it's a more sophisticated listening tool that I think a lot of people don't really understand. That we're always listening from someplace and when we can distinguish that and, and actually manage where we're listening from, it can make a huge difference. What do you think about that concept? I, I think you're absolutely right, Jackie. I love, I love the frame. And, and my version of this that I got from Steve Hardison, he says, he says it in a question. He says, are you listening for the judgment or are you listening for the gold? So whenever you go into a conversation, I always ask myself that question. Am I listening for the judgment? Or am I listening for the gold? And sometimes I listen for the judgment. That's okay. You got to learn. What do you mean listening for the judgment? Like if you agree or if it's right or wrong, is that what you mean? Yeah. So, so what Steve talked about, Jackie, was what he means by that is more in the context of when we're trying to learn something, we're trying to listen to a partner is we, we always go, a lot of us go from the frame of, oh, what that person says doesn't apply to me. Oh, I can't learn that. Oh, well, that guy's from that specific part of town. I'm from another part of town. That won't work for me. Oh, that doesn't. Oh, I already know this. I already know this. So when we're listening for the judgment, that's what we get. But if we're listening for the gold, and that could be interpreted in a bunch of different ways, the gold, the insight, the aha moment. Like when you talked about that that lesson you had in, in, as a therapist, when people would move from job to job, I thought that was so fascinating. I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. Because that's what we're listening for. So that's mm -hmm. the idea. And yeah. a lot of us in relationships listen for the judgment. We don't listen for the insight. Right, 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 right. You know, uh, do I agree with what you're saying is what you're saying. And that's, you know, that's what's happened in our political discourse today. Our, our communication in the political culture wars and political discourse is so unconscious. It's like listening for uh, controversy, you know, uh, setting up the fight of why they're so bad or they're so dumb or they're so... Uh, you know, evil. Uh, 
it's really gotten toxic, Brendan. Do you, do you have any thoughts about that where people find themselves at that impasse? For sure, Jackie. The, the solution is, especially in the context you drove, and I'm sure you talk about this all the time, is that politicians will always move to the consensus of the culture. Always. So the most important thing for us to do is for us to first become conscious, for us to implement these tools for ourselves and just our family. Because if all of us just did that, the politician would just adapt to whatever the culture. Well, if everyone's conscious and everyone doesn't believe in this stuff, I can't win anymore by being extremist. This is why there's a great quote that I think summarizes this well, is if you look for the incentive, you look for the outcome. You'll find the outcome. So the incentive for a politician right now, because I, I don't have any hate towards them, right? And I'm, I'm sure you don't either, but it's more just to saying like, okay, my incentive is to be extremist because that is what the, that the reward system of that game values to actually make me win the game. Whereas if the rules of the game change or the people that play within that game change themselves, then politicians have no choice but to change how they interact to win the new game that's being played. Yeah, that thus my commitment to creating a more conscious world. There you go. Right? I mean, it really is the path forward. Like, is this the world that we want to be creating? Right? So last thing I want to ask you about, I am sometimes on stages and and uh, and do, you know, public presentations. I'm doing a lot on Zoom public presentations now. What, you know, what things do you think take people off center or in any kind of uh, a situation where people might feel nervous, maybe it's a difficult conversation. So either on stage, any time that we're, you know, got that little sense of anxiety and, and I'm a little bit uncertain or, or, or afraid here, what tips do you have, you know, that help people ground themselves in being conscious as a, a public presenter or at a difficult conversation? Absolutely, Jackie. So, so the way that I've always seen speaking anxiety is really around the idea that the anxiety is not something we should try to remove, but rather a feeling we should learn to dance with, like a relationship. So for me, I mean, I've had so much anxiety from the beginning. I have a crooked left arm. I have a physical disability oh, wow. because I had a surgery when I was younger. And it, that didn't go too well. So whenever I present, when I was younger, people would look at my arm all the time. They would never look at me speaking. Right. The second challenge I had, <laughs> I still have it. I, I just, would you address that when you'd start speaking? Like, would you make some joke or say something about your arm so that people could get represent to you? That's a good point. That, that's actually good feedback for me. Maybe I should do that yeah, more no, absolutely. often. My spouse is deaf yeah. um, and speaks well. My spouse is deaf, but speaks well. And when she... She used to work in a hearing organization uh, with hearing people, and she would sometimes have to present and she would speak for herself. But if people didn't know her, they'd be like, like, what's with? Because there, there's something different, a tonal difference. And that was what my coaching was to her. Just open the meeting. Like, you might be wondering where I'm from. <laughs> you know, I'm really from here in the United States. My speech is different because I can't hear and, uh, and I'll be using interpreters. And so she would, you know, just puts people at ease rather than like trying to figure out what it is. So, yeah, two, two, two cents for you. And you're up on stage. Just put people at ease with it. Be like, yeah, look at this. Oh, my God, what happened? It would be so fun. I could give you some really good stints. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, look at your arm. Like, oh my god, it was straight this morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. happened on the way here. <laughs> I you love that, Jackie. <laughs> yeah, what I do mostly is I integrate in the personal stories. I never bring it up at the beginning, but that in the story, there's a picture of me, and then I just bring it up there. But, but that's great. I love that. It's a really yeah, good tip. Yeah. So, how do you help people like get get you know quiet that anxiety, that anxious mind? Yeah. What do you do? 
For sure, for sure, Jackie. So, so that's the first piece, right? It's just the the acknowledgement that it's a dance rather than something we need to try to remove. Like, let's say if me and you were having coffee or dinner or something, and Elon Musk calls me and he goes, "Hey, I really like what you did on Jackie's podcast. Really like your YouTube channel. Can you coach me? I'll pay you three million dollars." Would I be nervous? Yeah, it doesn't matter who it is. I'd be I'd be pretty nervous about that. So, so for me, it's more of a dichotomy we learn to manage. So think of it like a boxing match. Jackie, where one side of the ring is the fear, the anxiety, the stress around speaking, and the other side of the ring is why does this matter? Why does the message matter? And the goal is not for the fear to leave, but rather make sure that your message is just a little bit more important than the fear so that the match is in your favor every single time. And that's the way I've always seen it. Nice. Nice. I love that. So so the message is a little bit more important than the fear. Yeah. To help, you know, let the fear be there. You have to channel it, right? Rather than, and I love that notion of dancing with it. Uh, right. I try to reframe it for myself as rather anxiety than I uh, call it excitement. I'm, I'm not anxious. I'm excited to go out and do this. Brendan, this has been great. I really appreciate you spending time with us here at the Conscious mm-hmm. Living Podcast. If people want to get in touch with you or follow your work, there's your YouTube channel that is called Master Talk, but how else can people find you? Absolutely, Jackie. Such a pleasure to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. The second. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the second way to keep in touch is to attend one of our free online workshops. We do one on communication every two weeks from the community. Eight-year-old kids come on that call. Big CEOs are on that call. So if you want to jump on that, just go to rockstarcommunicator.com and sign up for the next one. Nice. Rockstarcommunicator.com. I love that. I will absolutely check it out and you will probably see me on one of your calls. Thank you so much for being here with us. I really appreciate your time. Likewise, Jackie. Such a pleasure.